2: What's
3: up, everybody? It's Joel Puma. You are listening to the Complex Sneakers Podcast. I am with my two friends, Matt Welty. We're here, live in effect. New laptop for the kid. We'll get to that in a little bit. And of course, <laughs> live from Brooklyn, he changed the lighting, but he's still here. Brendan Dunn, how you doing? How are you, Joe? Hanging in, man. How's it going? I
4: feel okay. Yeah.
3: Welty got a new haircut. He got a new laptop. What? feel like yeah. a new man or what?
4: Yeah, I need to get a little bit of hair gel. It feels like I kind of have like a flat top at 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 the moment. But um. (laughs) yeah, my
3: my go to was LA Looks. My go to was LA Looks back in the day. It was a pink bottle. LA. You know what I really wanted when I was young? The bedhead Tigi. Oh, bedhead! That was an elevated gel. Yeah, that
1: was. Big. I was begging my mom to take me to the Coeur mall and get some of that. I think when you squirted it out, there was maybe, you know, some of the toothpaste mm-hmm. that had some color in it, like the, the sparkly toothpaste. It was like that, but the yeah. hair gel was like a strand of color in it.
3: Yeah, Bedhead was, LA Looks was like the cheap CVS type of vibe that i was did you I, do
4: joe did you do like the spike up or
3: yeah i did oh, we all
4: did the spike up at some point i did right?
3: i did and it was a lot and then you would wear a hat and the hat's brim would be ruined <laughs> ruined like the, the inside of it you know like just but yeah there was a lot of hair gel back in the day for me so when did you retire i think i i stopped with the gel a lot when i first got to complex mm. yeah because, to be honest, Bradley Carbone had the crazy hair. He always had crazy surfer hair, and he never mm-hmm. used gel. And it was always you were just like... just taking notes. Yeah, I was just, you know, take, taking notes and like, hey, you could control the hair without using gel and the natural oils, so.
4: You had the headband with the spikes, right? Peak Yukon. Uh, I did that coma. one
3: month. I did that one month. Only once.
4: <laughs> Which month? <laughs> November 2002.
3: I did that once because my friend used to give me haircuts, and then I was like whatever i'm bored let me just try the blowout once and i really only had it once and then like yeah definitely did the spiked like uh kind of like growing up Gotti type of vibe the Carmine, car yeah remember they had the g-unit headbands on the show with <laughs> is that the, right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so i think that was one month in college and uh yeah but the hair you know the hair has taken on many different paths
4: if sneaker shopping was around back then the growing up Gotti cast on sneaker shopping would have would be an iconic episode. Wow.
1: Is it too late to do it now? It's too late, probably. You think?
4: I, actually, let's say it is too late because we
1: don't want their publicist sitting you up and and begging for it. So
3: Victoria and Victoria Victoria Gotti, she would have been there too. She that was it. I watched. Did you watch that show, Welty? Or no?
4: Uh, no, just like bits and clips of it, but not. Uh, not the biggest. It would be
3: awesome to look back at different times in like two thousand three and scope and, and kind of curate a season of what sneaker shopping would look like in two thousand three. Actually that's a good social idea. I think maybe we'll do that. Anyway, big week in sneakers. I think the main thing that everyone's talking about we talked about the civilist dunks kind of to death, but um Kobe Bryant, Kobe Week. And I yeah. know it was a big big Discussion in the chat and everyone was going after different models. I think some dropped Sunday, some dropped yesterday. Nike has a, has a lot of stuff planned and there was some chatter about, you know, not being able to get the shoes. Obviously. How do you think Kobe week
4: has, has been thus far? We have like some side talk about it, but I would think it's a really tough situation for Nike, you know, where, um, I don't think obviously this wasn't planned. And if anyone knows the way the sneaker industry works, um, You can't make shoes that quick. Like a year and a half is usually what the time span is from like idea Mm -hmm. creation to production of shoes. You have to make them in, you know, usually Asia, they have to get put on boats and get shipped to the United States and pass customs and all this. And everyone's forgetting that there was a huge pandemic still going on, you know, that, originated from, you know, a close by area where they where they make the shoes so it's like the the reality of getting Nike extra 100,000 pairs of shoes that have probably already been produced before Kobe Bryant's death and then got released after the fact kind of is like we need to do something. I just don't think it's reality that Nike Yeah,
1: I think a lot of people are skipping over all those extra factors. You can't just I mean, I understand why people are upset that they didn't get the shoes. But I think that there are a lot more factors going into it, and also I think if you're upset at Nike for making limited edition shoes, you're probably in the wrong game because that's something that's always going to happen. Yeah,
3: yeah, Don, you got a pair though. I did. How, how does that feel?
1: Um, it feels good. I'm I'm happy I got the pair. I mean, I'm not the biggest Kobe fan in the world, but I'm I'm glad to have the shoes as part of my collection. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't really going to go after them on Sneakers App anyway, so.
3: Let me ask. I'm a little removed from it. Is there one pair that is the clear favorite, the most valuable one of the the bunch?
1: I think the Undefeated set has to be the biggest. Yeah, that makes sense. A fitting mention of Undefeated, but we'll get to that
3: later. Absolutely. I like those on-court Jordans. Kemba's wearing, like, the electric green ones. The 34 kind of looks good on court. I know... I know that on-court basketball is not always our thing, but Carmelo, Kemba, Luca.
1: I think I have a pair of Jordan 34s floating around here. I apologize to the person who sent me them if I don't know for sure
4: that they're around. But if if you did send them to me, I appreciate it. What are you doing in perform- uh latest performance Jordan basketball shoes, Brendan? Me? Yeah.
1: Um... <laughs> That's an excellent question, Wealthy. Maybe I'll go to the local court and uh, practice and do some drills.
3: So I've been playing ball every night that I'm in Long Island, not when I'm in Brooklyn. Yep, playing every night in the Kith LeBrons. Very good. Very, very good support.
1: Okay, Joe, obviously we want to know about the stat. She's. i mean yeah what's joe stashy looking like
3: i actually told ronnie about this mm-hmm. um i'm in a group chat with ronnie and another friend pr uh paul rivera
1: just add me in when you get a chance go
3: ahead yep we'll add you in but i you know i sent them i was like i'm playing in the kith lebrons and i said listen not going to show up in the box score every night but does all the intangibles right okay
4: <laughs> okay <laughs> you're a uh, joe, joe, a real pat <sighs> beverly out here
3: that's it does all the intangibles you know we're not going to be a big drop-
4: heart guy yes yes small numbers big heart if you're wearing all black right now so it kind of makes sense you know Joe showing up you had all black LeBrons too so definitely some real on court goon behavior going down
3: well yeah and this is this I do like challenges for myself every time I'm shooting it's like make 30 like layups in a row if you
4: if you don't make 30 you have to go back so it's uh are, are you playing games out there too joe or are you no, just shooting
3: around just shooting around
4: no pickup games Nah. i feel like joe's really emotional on court like if someone pisses you off during a game you're gonna like run down the court and like trip them on a loose ball pick up a flagrant too
3: <laughs> no 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 listen I, I, I'm not, I'm not an alpha on the court. I just, I want to be there.
1: I need some of that footage, man. We need to put together a complex hoops tape, you know? We do.
3: Although every time, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you guys know this. Every time complex joins a basketball tournament, it doesn't end well.
4: It doesn't,
3: <laughs> it, it does not end well. There was
4: a, there, there was a legendary team. I think it was at Brendan. I don't know if you were there. It was at that Pagal. Oh, I was there. I remember I was there, but I don't think I worked at Complex at the time. Did we get destroyed? We had a team and I think like Maurice, who no longer works yeah. at Complex, was like one of the captains of the team and Sean Sweeney, who's actually like Kawhi's yes. guy at New Balance now. And I think they even had like Sean Evans, Sean Evans on the team, but uh it's probably two thousand fourteen.
3: Yeah, in Tony Mui or no? No, he
4: wasn't okay. he wasn't at Complex. No, it's pre Tony, okay. but they had all these celebrities that had like, they had like Vashti had a squad, one of the ASAP guys had a squad, and they got all like the best basketball players in Harlem to be on their team, yeah. and like Complex played against them, and got yep. absolutely fucking smoked, because yeah. we were playing like the actual uh, actual people on the roster. Yeah, yeah.
3: let me tell you, <laughs> I, I made that mistake like twice, going to a basketball tournament that Complex was in, and like, oh, you know, we have a good chance, and
1: you got to show up, Mr. Burns style. All the ringers, Daryl Strawberry yes. on the squad. You know <laughs> yes, what I mean? Yes, every single time. Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen
4: jaw.
3: Yeah, every single time we got destroyed.
4: Stally had—I remember Stally had a team, and Stally played Division One college basketball, yeah. and he was like the worst person on his team. And I'm yeah. like, how does how does that work? Like, who are these people that you are bringing in? Uh, so was play, Joe but. on the team?
3: No, I n- never played. I played soccer. I played soccer, but I was never oh, on for uh, the
1: old Adidas fanatic. League? Fanatic, yeah. Did we have? Did Complex Field a good team in that?
4: No, I remember watching that at uh, was it the Brooklyn Pier? Yeah, I remember that well too. Uh,
3: the food was amazing. Yeah. Also, the food was was catered. Uh, what was it,
1: Brother Jimmy's? I think it might have been Brother Jimmy's. They used to do it in like LES on like Fortheth and, and Pier
3: Fortieth.
4: Pier Forty. Oh, we did. We thinking? did
3: weeknights. But okay. yeah,
4: that was the that was the Fanatic League. Was always on the pier in Brooklyn. Yeah, right on the water.
3: The fanatic, The problem with Fanatic is that midway through it, the food would show up, and it was amazing food. And then if we <laughs> lost like the first two games, <laughs> I was like, "All right, I'm getting the food. Forget it." Like not I don't, engaged I don't keep, at all. Exactly. Just like listen the the ROI of eating the great food or or losing every game and not eating the great food. Ego with the great food. So so I remember man,
1: sneaker industry parties have provided me with so much free food over the years. I really think that maybe in the New York sneaker media circuit, I've eaten more free hot dogs over the years at industry parties than anybody else.
4: There was definitely an era, I remember, of, like, Brendan Dunn, like, pre-running kick and all that sort of stuff, where you used to, like, throw down, like, you were just like, I'm gonna eat as much fucking food as possible. I remember, I forget... It might have been like Kangol or something. Me and you went to a party together, and they had like miniature hot dogs. No, this was – I know the party
1: you're talking about, and I know the miniature hot dogs you're talking about. This was at an Asics
4: party in Williamsburg. No, this wasn't that one. I remember that one. That was a big party. That was a big party. That was that one, that Asics party where you're talking about like Ronnie was there. Action Bronson was there. uh, Big Body Best may or may not have been there like looking through (laughs) people's jackets at the coat check. Wow. (laughs) But we went to a party that had like miniature hot dogs, and I think Brendan sat there with the intentions of eating as many hot dogs as possible. I (laughs) want to say he ate like 20 plus. There was a bunch of glizzies
1: got thrown down. (laughs) Well, the math, you got to make sure we're clear on the math because they were mini hot dogs. So each hot dog was like a half a hot dog. So two minis counts for one full.
3: And you're just you're just in the crowd throwing mini hot dog in like every dude. Ronnie's there. Action Bronson's there. It's also it's it's also difficult because <laughs>
1: you, you got to be kind of stealth because you can't look too thirsty there. You know sometimes you will post up right by the door where the catering people come out and grab something off. But you you, you got to kind of be subtle about it.
3: They're unveiling their fall line and you're doing your best Joey Chestnut impression. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Priorities, baby. This is America.
3: Oh man! What about for you guys? Any any new pickups? Any new? I know you're purging more, but any new pickups? I'm, I'm
1: purging, but stuff keeps coming in the mail, which is a, a a nice situation usually, but you know a little difficult to handle right now. I did finally get the Syracuse Dunk lows. Shout out to the people nice. at Unheard of in Ohio. I've, I've been kind of kicking myself for sleeping on all those Be True style white and okay. color. Lowes that have released this year, so I finally was able to go back. Like I said, thank you to the people at Unheard of and get a size ten of the orange lows. I want the blues. I really want to, really want to try and get the blues somehow, but let's see. Kentucky's, yeah. Another shoe we were talking about in Slack that Concepts ZX Nine Thousand. Well, Z, I know up. it's not for the purists, yeah. but I kind of like the shoe, and I am biased because I got the free pair in the mail from the good folks at Concepts. But that crinkly space blanket upper, a space blanket saved my life in the Chicago Marathon. So. You know, it's an emotional
3: shoe for me. There was, you know, which um, Welty I wanted to show you. I really like these. Um What shoe is it? Can you see? Nope. ZX One Thousand. Oh, the
4: Z, Z, ZX One Thousand. First time the shoes ever been retroed. This, yeah. th- I shoe. really
3: like these. I really, really like these. I didn't get them, but I'll put it in a word
4: for. It. I'll put in a word for you, Joe. All right, appreciate. I haven't it. gotten I re- a pair. I haven't gotten a pair either. I think I've worn ZX more times in the past year.
3: Yeah, and that was on that was on Lapstone and Hammer. Um. Yeah, they didn't release yet, but I like that colorway, white and blue. Joe, did you watch?
4: Not, not to talk UFC, but did you watch your boy oh Frankie? My Edgar? God, can yes, I? Yes, I did watch Frankie. I'm Edgar. just gonna go take a bathroom break. No, we'll, we'll be quick. UFC. We'll be
3: quick. A Jersey guy, Frankie Edgar, got this. The split decision. They were throwing, mm-hmm. man. They were throwing.
4: Okay. I figure. I just figured that Frankie Edgar's like would be your guy a little bit, right? You no? know
3: who I like? Matt Sarah.
4: Yeah. When, He's remember from Long Island, right? Is he good?
3: Matt Sarah uh upset GSP. But I don't know. Okay, we'll get out of this. Done. I promise we'll get out of this. And then,
4: and then GSP came back and whooped that whooped that. us yes, have like 43 more seconds. Go I know, ahead. but
3: do you did you watch Ultimate Fighter Season One, the contender um thing, Welty? Remember Chris Lieben?
4: Uh no, I didn't I, okay, That was that the it. one with uh Forest Forrest, yep. Forrest Griffin? 27 seconds. Yes,
3: yes, we'll cut we'll we'll cut this. But uh You sure? Yeah, I mean, if you don't know Chris Lieben, Chris Lieben was like, had a crazy attitude and was cool. Whatever, it's getting cut.
1: <laughs> no, we should keep it. I think it's funny.
3: Well, I don't want him to come after me. So it just didn't pan out like it, it should have.
1: You're more worried about him coming after you than the Gotti boys? I, boys? I didn't diss the Gotti
3: boys, I didn't diss them. Right.
4: Who was, Joe, growing up, who was the biggest Long Island kind of a role not role model or just kind of like idol that you had that was like kind of like a local guy that you were like, that's my dude?
3: Um, hmm. It's tough because I ran track and they were all older than me. So like they, they all had my back basically on the track team. But so there wasn't like no, I mean, one, celebrity wise. No, I don't. I don't have one.
4: No, local. Celeb- I don't have one. There's no, there's no long island like celebrity that like or like rapper or, like
3: I mean c- Keith Murray used to jog at the Bayshore track. I think wow. he lived in Brentwood. Yeah. I <laughs> think he lived in Bre- Yep, I think he lived in Brentwood, but he used to jog at the high school track. Um we would see him sometimes.
1: That's a am- I was a big I had a big Keith Murray moment
4: in maybe like 2004. Yeah. He performed when I was living in New Brunswick going to Rutgers. He, per- he performed at like a bottom basement bar and he did The whole version of Sugar Hill Gang's Rappers Delight, the Def Squad thing, 10 minutes long, just all the raps. Amazing. That was a surprising moment.
3: (laughs) Well, we got another big podcast this week, a very timely podcast, and I'm really, really excited about this one. So uh, let's get to our guest Our guest on today's podcast has been in fashion for three decades. His path started in Brooklyn where he was attending college in hopes of becoming a teacher and working at Union New York City under Supreme founder James Jebbia. It was there where he would mix the skill set he was developing at the store with his love for product and elevated curiosity of how skate, street, and sneaker culture mixed. When he realized his future in fashion, he realized becoming a teacher wasn't his calling. After working under Jebbia and helping shape a conglomerate of stores, he moved to L.A. to set up the union location there and eventually take over as not the manager, but the owner of the now-famed La Brea location. By sourcing products through multiple overseas trips a year to Japan and Europe, he would go on to build one of the most iconic high-end streetwear boutiques of all time. And as far as collaborations, he's worked with Adidas, Vans, Nike on the iconic clerks 180 and as of recent years a jordan one that topped every end of the year list in 2018 this week he joins the complex sneakers podcast to talk about union's upcoming jordan 4 collab please welcome chris gibbs
2: wow that is hands down the most official uh intro i have ever received and probably will ever receive thank you so much sir I think we're done. I think this interview's done. <laughs> we ran down uh, the whole right. We skipped a lot, but I
3: had to condense it, but it's all true. As long as it's factually correct, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't be happier to have you on this week, Chris. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. Let's get into it. Let's get into, I think, you know, you always wanted to live in Brooklyn, you said, and you were going to college, and you have a lot of history there, but that is kind of like the early beginnings of getting into the streetwear and sneaker scene. Is that true?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I grew up in Canada. Um, I'm of mixed heritage. My father's from Barbados and all of his family lived in Brooklyn. So I spent a lot of uh, early adolescent years in Barbados with the rest of my family, with my granny, with my aunts and uncles. So I always knew Brooklyn is where I wanted to be. It took me a while to get there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a story for another podcast. But uh, I eventually was able to um, actually move in with my aunt and live in Brooklyn while I went to school, uh, university um, in New York and um, met my now wife, then girlfriend, who was like, saw me and must have seen something in me that no one else did. And she, it, she at the time, she used to work for Supreme and work for James. So okay. um, she introduced me to this world that I was completely unaware of in every way to the degree that even when she introduced me, I wasn't really sure what we were doing. It took me a while to really understand it. Um, So thankfully she, you know, she helped guide me as she still does to this Mm day. Um, And yeah, like uh, as a young kid who grew up in Canada, being influenced by, you know, really, really hip hop culture for the most part, um, living in Brooklyn, living in New York in the nineties, was a dream mm-hmm. and seeing how in particular working in the downtown scene and seeing how these different cultures, different kind of outlier cultures, different kind of like, uh, you know, rebels all kind of came downtown and helped motivate and inform each other, whether you were a punk rock kid, a house kid, a hip hop kid, an athlete, a skater, you were, you were, Kind of an outcast of your community, most likely, and downtown is where everyone came and kind of came together. Um, and I was able to kind of witness that, be a part of that in this really special way that um, you know was was incredible.
1: And your girlfriend at the time, Beth, was, like, giving you free Supreme gear, is that right? Because she used to hang out with Harold Hunter and all them?
2: Yeah, yeah, she was, I mean, uh, she, uh, she, w- by the time we met, she was no longer uh, with Supreme anymore. She actually was working for Russell Simmons for okay. Def Jam. But um, but she had introduced me to all these guys. There was a guy named Deflon who, who passed away, unfortunately, but, like, all the OG dudes with no Deflon, Um who at the time worked for Triple Five Soul. And I remember okay. like the first day she kind of brought me shopping down Lafayette and uh, and and we went to Triple Five Soul and I kind of went in and she kind of, I'm like, I was, I'm a Canadian and pretty sheepish. So I was in there mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, I kind of like this, and Mm -hmm. she was just picking stuff out. Yo, at the end of it, you know, sorry to the owners of Triple Five Soul, and again, rest (laughs) in peace to Deflon, but I walked out with two huge bags of gear, and he was like, just give me 20 bucks, and I was like, what (laughs) the fuck? You know? And then she brought me to Union, and Union is where, like, Triple Five Soul, I was aware of. Triple Five Soul, although the designs were special and, you know, dope on their own, and I actually had visited the Triple Five Soul Store that was on Ludlow or something, even before that. They had a smaller store where mm-hmm. they used to sell mixtapes and stuff before that, before I knew her. And that store for me was like that's like that was the shit. That was mm-hmm. like something I never like a boutique for fucking like broke fucking kids that are into skating hip hop. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. Is just it didn't exist. So union when we finally went to union i was just like holy shit this is like i didn't know this existed it seems like every single thing in this store was designed for me personally and coming from a place where people kind of assume what you think you might like and you know like this is like before that skids would have been something that i Mm -hmm. would have worn you know Mm -hmm. so uh it was just like i don't know i can't explain it so uh going to union was just this really special thing. So, and I was really intimidated. I mean, union, I've heard this through many people, even through my kind of tenure there, obviously I'm still there, but like can be an intimidating place for, and I knew that because it was intimidating to me my first time, because Mm -hmm. everything you're not used to, you know, nowadays like a 17 year old kid or a 15 year old kid going into union or a store like union or a store like undefeated or Stussy, they've now been trained to like, the shit they like can be sold on a pedestal. But mm-hmm. at that time, for me, it would have been like I walked into union and they were selling product as if I was in Hermes or something. And that mm. was so foreign to me. It really caught me off guard. And I didn't really know how to act. I didn't know that my stuff could be, the things I was into could be presented in that way. So that that's the intimidation. So when I eventually got the job there, I always tried to treat the customer like I was when I first entered union, Mm -hmm. like, which is like, Hey, you know, with respect and with appreciation to where they're coming from, they're not used to this. We had a rule. Like the, again, if you think of, if you go into like, you know, a really high end store on fifth Ave and you want to look at an article of clothing, you ask the associate sales associate, Hey, I'd like to look at this. You don't like rifle through it as if Mm -hmm. you're, you know, at Macy's or something and you don't give a shit. So, um, that's foreign, so I always and we kind of had this thing like, don't touch the fucking t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And at Union and Supreme, you, the guys would literally be like, don't fuck, the, don't touch yes. the fucking t-shirts. I mean, that was how you were treated. So I tried to be a little different, like, hey, just so you know, if you know, yeah. like we're the Canadian me came yeah. out, yeah. like you know. So I tried to. Eventually, it's so foreign for some shoppers that they really don't get it. Mm-hmm. That like you fucking up the t-shirts is fucking my shit up like mm-hmm. so it's a different paradigm here like so i you try to be patient but inevitably hey excuse me would you mind not touching you know turns into like don't touch the t-shirts what do you want you know yeah. <laughs> especially if you had to do that to 30 other people all day so um i, I kind of digress there i'm sorry i can ramble you guys no. got to cut me off no
4: we love it i remember you saying that when you when you first uh when and saw Supreme you were like kind of unsure about it and thought like that maybe that it was kind of like a poser sort of thing, or were these guys like really into skateboarding and they kind of had to win you over as, as the cool guys, like how, how foreign was that concept of like cool guy streetwear? To you? Yeah.
2: You've got to keep in mind a, let me say this right now before I was in the wrong, I was the wrong person thinking that way, but I had come from this place where like, skate and or fashion for men wasn't elevated in any way. So going into a place where they were elevating it and making it special and making it nice got me off guard, right? I quickly learned I was wrong. You know what I mean? Um, And that, you know, and fortunately, you know, I was able to be given an opportunity to kind of get in and be on the inside of that. But from the outside looking in and coming from my history, like, wow, I've never seen, you know, it's again, got back to my example of like these stores were run and operated as if they were on Madison or Fifth Ave, mm-hmm. but they're selling a $30 t shirt or a skateboard or fucking, you know, tracker trucks. Like it, yeah. it was so foreign to me. I just didn't get it,
1: you know? It was an equation you'd never seen before.
2: Yeah, so it was more me not understanding it. Uh, now I know I was wrong to think that these guys were posers. I mean, some of the best skaters ever, <laughs> you know, started yeah. started at Supreme, you know. And, and how much was Union
1: offering sneakers when you started working there? So Union opened in 1989, pioneering yeah. important store. I think you joined the team in 1996. Were there sneakers on the shelves at that time, or when did sneakers become part of the equation for Union?
2: No, there, there were, uh, there weren't sneakers, and actually, there, there was, there was mm-hmm. this one shoe that we brought in early on. Um, so at the time, Union would have been one of any of these parts. Hey, your young up-and-coming t-shirt designer, come in and sell your shit. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a couple brands from Japan in the UK that were kind of these weird, hard to find brands that Marianne, who owned the store, kind of like had researched and found and would bring over, Um, you know, things like uh, 6876, Macintosh Coats, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. Um, You know, I'm trying to think of what else we would have brought over Hiroshi's early lines, uh, uh, complete finesse. Like mm-hmm. this is really early good enough. Um, it and was a really a potpourri of all that kind of stuff. And then the 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 genesis of union like even predating the store being open and going back to like believe it or not marianne and james were street vendors was parallel buying product from other places that you couldn't get so they would have bought adidas from the uk that weren't available in the u.s
1: and they didn't have an Adidas account they were just going out no they were just going and buying
2: it from like a store in in london and at that time um you know Early, I think in the '80s, you know, some somebody who knows Adidas better would have to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but UK Adidas would have been different than US and Italy. You know what I mean? I think like one of the most sought after Adidas shoes are like the Italy Jabars because. Yeah they were different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Different. Yeah. The product different was all licensed and, back then. Exactly. In different regions. So uh, it, yeah. they would go what, what's called parallel buy and buy it there at retail, or maybe buy so much that they get a discount and then bring it over here. And now it's this unique thing. This is before eBay and Instagram and the internet or easily getting on a flight to go over the fuck you want. This yeah. was like them really doing, doing the math and doing the research. So um, one of the early sneak the earliest sneaker I remember us having that caused like pandemonium were, were these New Balance um, from the UK that had this um, like a uh, reflective colored ends. Okay, mm-hmm. and I remember like you name Scotch it, Scotch
1: Bright 3M, yeah, flash yeah, on it. yeah, this is the exactly. nineties.
2: Either yeah, it, it would have been uh, early, early to mid nineties or mid nineties when I was there. So, um, and I remember like. That was the first time, like, you know, Naomi Campbell's coming in to buy a pair of shoes from us. Like, all these, like, famous people are coming in. And and I've told this story before, and, and, you know, but uh, it was the first scam was run on me through these shoes, which is now you got it. I'm going to defend myself before I tell you how badly I got scammed. All right. Every famous person I had ever heard of is calling to get these shoes in a way that I had never experienced. Wow. Right. And it's real sending mm-hmm. their stylist coming in in person so i get a call one day and it's someone claiming to be the stylist for boys to men okay they are doing a show in boston <laughs> that night they okay. need the shoes now they're going to send their stylist to come pick them up who's going to drive them to boston wow yeah sure whatever That's you great. know what i mean Anything uh, for but but they're in boston <laughs> yeah. and they use the credit card over the phone yeah sure cool boys to man <laughs> i just got off the phone with normally campbell cool you know so long story short uh that was a total scam uh you know boys to men were not calling for those shoes and you know they could use the credit card number and then because it wasn't signed for you know there's no they proof of purchase for the, the charge selling. so um i lasted that i you know i didn't get fired thank god but Do it was you remember close the new balance model I don't, but I'll tell you this: New Balance is going to see this and go make these damn shoes, as they should. But because, <laughs> yeah. because
1: collaboration, union collaboration, because, Let's go.
2: Because yeah, because you can't find these fucking shoes anywhere. You I found one pair. Them, right? Yeah, I yeah. found one pair of the shoes we're talking about at the Rose Bowl, and I have them at my house. Wow! I'm going to say this: I think it's wrong. I want to say a five hundred two. Okay. But I could be, I could be, that could be totally made up, but I have the pair. I'm just not at my home right now um, where I found where they did this whole thing, but I've I've searched high and low. I've wow. Googled it. I've, I'm like a Google master. I will find it. I've spent hours looking for this shoe because it's just as a special place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the first kind of the world lost their mind for a pair of shoes the next iteration of that would have been when we took the white on white air force ones and gave them like a Gucci swoosh or LV swoosh. Um, and that was like the next craziness. We still didn't have a sneaker account. Mm -hmm. We still, you know, but that just whatever craziness happened through the new balance, like times it by a hundred, it was insane. Just, you know, I mean, I remember there was this kind of, um, I'd call it a, a healthy rivalry between the stores that james and marianne owned which would have been which at the time would have been stucy union and supreme and by then supreme was definitely like the top shit you know Mm. union was was kind of entering although not there yet like redheaded stepchild land because we're different and weird um and I remember, like, the Supreme guys calling me to get the, the shoes, mm-hmm. you know? And it usually uh, went the, the other way. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, like, oh, shit, y'all want what we got? Okay, yeah. you know. Um, that was crazy. That elevated, you know, I won't go, I could spend talk an hour just about that mm-hmm. one, but I'll say, just to give you an example, so we were buying white-on-white Air Force ones, getting either, well, we, we would get, um, buy like vintage bags off ebay so ebay was relevant by that time and get them cut up and then go to a cobbler and cut out the nike swoosh take off the nike swoosh put it back on and then sell them most people who saw that thought that was a union nike collaboration even people that worked for nike would come in and buy them yep absolutely wow Wow. so nike wasn't
1: upset with you because i would imagine a situation where you get a cease and desist or something like that
2: yeah i think the way we were selling them was not illegal Okay. it's a custom shoe we weren't selling this. Or yeah you know what i mean so um and i don't know if they were mad i think inevitably i would like to say and it's easy for for me to say but like that was the prehistory predecessor to this whole market Got so me. if they were mad they shouldn't be because yeah we're living in the market that these kind of like one-off experiences created whether it's the new balance example or or that example and that one re- reached fever pitch because people thought so eventually people figured out oh these guys are just going and doing this they're getting an lv bag they're cutting out a making stores, their own shoes right mm-hmm. right yeah. but because it was still thought of as this union thing our the union shopping bag became like a thing that like resellers, which they weren't even called at that time, like they would like call buy, no, I don't know, fucking nothing. There was no name for it. Some dude who's, <laughs> who's yeah, going in the, the store. No, don't, don't not even. So, some guy who's or, or girl who's like figured out our little thing and they're doing it on their own. Like it's not special, you know. Um, a biter, I guess. I don't <laughs> know, you know. But they started trying to buy union shopping bags off people because they could go make the shoe but sell it to like a Japanese person as long as in a sh- Union shopping bag, it was legit. They were bootlegging there was no other your way. bootleg. It yes, was like it was coming yes. from you guys.
3: There's
1: nothing legit about that. Yes. You made a bootleg and they made a bootleg. <laughs> it was a
2: bootleg of a bootleg, and the only way to a- authenticate the bootleg was the Union shopping bag.
3: That's crazy. Wow. And Chris, do you think that I've read so much that you sourcing overseas? You s- talk about the New Balance from the UK, and then making yeah. four trips a year to Japan, you sourcing things that are not a. Were not available in the US and bringing them even sneakers before the quick strike era. Do you think that's what really set you apart and kind of shaped your eye and discovery?
2: Yeah, like uh, you know, another sneaker story sort of bore you guys no, love with it. them. But, no, that's uh, what we're here for. <laughs> my my first trip to Tokyo um was um was actually as a DJ, believe it or not. I mean, okay. you know, early, I mean everybody's a DJ now. So that was happening then too, and uh, I got flown out to to DJ these parties. And when I was out there, so at that time, um, because of my own personal tastes and because of kind of just like a, it was a skate thing or a referential skate thing. Also, I'm still extremely broke, so I don't have money for a two three hundred dollar pair of shoes. Okay. Like my shoe at the time, my go to was a Dunk. You could go get a Dunk Low at Foot Locker in like three different colors for like thirty-two bucks. They were always on sale, always available.
1: Easily. I'm glad you're saying this right now. I'm glad yeah. young people yeah. realized that the dunk yeah. was not always a super duper quick strike impossible thing to obtain.
2: Yeah. It was just in fact yeah, in fact they were always on sale. Like it wasn't it wasn't a thing. But it was kind of this very pedestrian shoe that you could buy into and rep, you know, the swoosh and Nike and mm-hmm. you know be a part of that but like be afford- affordable. And that was kind of like the a trick on like, well, I can't get the new Jordans. I just can't afford it. I'm a, yeah. I'm a starving student, you know. So, and and so I remember going to Japan and going into like a sneaker shop there and seeing like like the Dunk on steroids, right? This was an I should know this because I've told this story a couple of times, but I still don't know the exact, Mm -hmm. like, um, uh, whatchamacallit, like the the linear line of, you know, whatever came first. But this was right around the alphanumerics coming out. I think it was the shoe that came out after the-
1: Early Dunk Pro-B, SB era. Exactly, but
2: not an SB. But it looked, it had the thick tongue, but it wasn't an SB. I don't know where those, the Pro-Bs- Yeah. So, and I, and they were two hundred dollars, and I was yeah, like, "This crazy. is the dopest dunk." I mean, dude, mm-hmm. I want this shoe. This is the dunk that I wear, but it's what no one else in New York can get. I'd be mean, yeah, the, the shit level. if I could get this shoe, but it's two hundred fucking dollars. Like, yeah, I no, I cannot. I don't have it. I mm-hmm. think I I had a stipend for the whole two weeks of two hundred dollars. <laughs> you know, I mean, like yeah. just real talk. I didn't have it. So, uh, but I obsessed over this shoe the whole time I was there, as if like. I'm not seeing temples. I'm just seeing this shoe everywhere I go. And eventually one of the guys was like, my, my guide was like, why are you so into this shoe? This is a this is from the U.S. These are shoes that you know were exclusive to the U.S. We've parallel bought and brought back here. And I'm like, I've never seen this shoe. So long story short, I don't spend every cent I have on getting that shoe. Uh, I also end up seeing like uh, the Argons, the Brazils, mm-hmm. you know okay. what I mean? Yep. Around the same time, but... I come back home, I think pretty much empty handed, like, you know, everything was really was and really expensive. And uh, I talked to my co-worker, this guy named Joey Thompson, Joey Wiggs, who uh, who lived in Long Island at the time. Who We okay. would, you know we both worked at Union. Joey went on to do clientele. Mm-hmm. OK, I don't know if anybody guys remember, okay. of course. He, yeah. And then I'm yep. not sure where he is today, but clientele would have been his thing. And Joey was one of the predecessors of traveling the world just for sneakers to parallel buy them and bring them back to the states footlocker yeah. european exclusives and this that and the other cleaning ones. them out like he was one of the first yeah. dudes so but joey and sorry joey if you're listening yeah. i'm not trying to out here <laughs> but joey at that time was a bike messenger like that's it not into sneakers not into gear we you know so we worked at union and i came back and i told him the story i just told you and he was like oh that sounds really cool whatever he lived in long island one day maybe a month later joey comes to um, comes he calls me up like at nine o'clock right yo I'm at Century 21 in Long Island and that's you you described I'm looking at like a hundred of them wow. Wow. and they're wow. on sale for thirty bucks right I was like dude buy every one of them wow. buy them all can <laughs> no you buy hesitation. them all can you literally buy them mm-hmm. all and he's like yeah I could buy them I'm gonna go get my mom's car like shit like that you wow. know so he buys them out. He brings them to union the next day because i would again through my trip found out those are being parallel bought by japanese have they were something. right so we put them that's like we put them in the showcase at union and started selling them i think for like 150 bucks or something like that. wow and americans weren't really the americans were like me like this is a dunk i can go get it for 30 bucks mm-hmm. but the japanese yeah. were really into it and at some point, a Japanese kid came in and he was like, Yo, how many how many of those do you have? And we we're like, "I oh, we got like, you know, a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'll trade you the Argonne and the Brazils for those shoes one for one.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And for some reason, the Argon Brazil was the first shoe that an American would buy
3: mm-hmm.
2: versus that. Pro yeah. B or whatever didn't quite. The audience hit. didn't
1: understand it yet. So
2: we we traded them out one for one. Started selling the argon. It was the argon, the Brazil, and the and the mustards. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if it was the reverse mustard or mm-hmm. mustard or whatever, but the white and kind of brown ones. And that was what I would say. What I'm in my humble opinion was the beginning of this. The real beginning of what we're now living in. You know. Wow, amazing,
4: Chris. Given uh no working you know working at union obviously the connection to supreme i'm sure you have like close ties to you know james jebia who's you know the mythical guy in <laughs> in streetwear like what's the i know you don't really hear a lot from him but like what's the best advice he's he's given you as far as streetwear or sneakers goes
2: mm. uh i'll be honest like my whole career is based off of three people's advice for the most part, which would be James Jebbia, Marianne Fusco, who was the owner of Union, and Eddie Cruz, who owned, who owned Union in L.A., who I then bought it from years later, and obviously owns Undefeated as well. Um, I think the best advice I got from James was, through the lens of what we do and who we are, right, try and be unique, you know? Mm-hmm. There was a moment in time where I was the buyer for union and I was buying things. And I think I made this one really big buy from some brand. I can't even remember what it was. Um, And it was very much on trend with what else was happening in New York and it failed completely. And James Mm. was like, yo, people aren't coming to union to get what they can get at like yellow rat bastard, or Mm. even the, you know, they come to union to get something special and unique. And so to the degree that I've been able to be successful, most of my decisions have been made through giving people access to something that they otherwise can't get elsewhere, you know? And as a, I'll do the segue for you. Mm -hmm. Um, the AJ four, like I changed it, you know, I didn't make it something that you could go get elsewhere because, well, if you want an AJ four, you can kind of go get one. Like, you know, so although I, Caught a lot of heat. I'm I'm sure I will. I'm sure there's some like diehards who don't like the changes we've done. Like my success has always been taking something and making it unique, finding like the most unique angle, and and that I learned through the through really through the three of them. Um, you know, starting probably with James on how to like really just do offer something unique. I've learned a lot of other things from James, Marianne, and Eddie, but that's something that James told me directly. Other things I've had to learn through osmosis of just working within that industry and working for them. But that's something he told me very directly that I took to heart, probably because I was really fearful of losing my job the day I heard that. Mm.
1: Um, It's interesting too. You you mentioned Eddie Cruz because he's part of this extended family too. And I think some of these brands or some of these stores Undefeated, Stussy, Union, Supreme, they, they're distinct, but they also share some of the same playbooks, like even the, the bootleg Air Force Ones you guys were doing. You think about Undefeated, it was one of the first stores to really sell customs. We were talking to Ben Baller a couple weeks ago and how they had Dunk Low Customs there in the store, and it was really a moment for them in terms of getting to the next level, offering sneakers. I wonder, through all these projects, where, where did you eventually get a Nike account, or how did that eventually solidify and become official?
2: So the first account that Union had, as me working there, was actually uh, an Adidas account. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2001, Adidas launched two, two major programs. One was um, Y3, okay. and the other was called Friends and Family. And friends and family was them doing what we were already doing. We know you're parallel buying from the UK and from Italy and from Japan. So we're going to invite the top 100 stores in the world. Those 100 stores have, it's not one for one, but, in, but generally speaking, that would be Consortium. Consortium is mm. the evolution mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the first 100 stores. They flew us all out to Paris for Fashion Week. N- I would venture to say, none of these other stores had ever been to Paris for fashion. Week, Right. Like that wasn't a thing. We were street workshops. So that wasn't our thing. So they flew us all out, put us up and brought us to the Y three fashion show, which was mind blowing. Like just to this day, the most, the dopest experience of my life was that week, you know? Um, and also started wow. this thing called friends and family, which they were giving us access to the Italian like a, a hand, hand-picked version of what they offer And it's Italy, etc, cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Friends and family In a weird way Was the predecessor to originals okay. So up until then There was no originals right? All the original stores around the world Didn't exist So um, that was the first account That Union had um, I don't know If Union in New York Ever did get an actual Nike account okay so this was in l this was in la this was i'm in new york still through this with this adidas story yeah i then in 2003 moved out to la and um union in la had two accounts well sorry excuse me union in la when i moved in 2003 undefeated was already open undefeated opened in 2001 as well Mm -hmm. undefeated as the story goes Was Eddie Cruz with his Adidas account that I just talked about and James Bond with the version of that I think it was called le for limited edition Um, or 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 white. I don't know. I I could have it confused. He had the The very early version of that for Nike at K-Bond they came together and were like yo, I got the Adidas account. You got the Nike account Let's put them together and open up undefeated and that's how undefeated was born and Undefeated then took the union's Adidas account and brought it to undefeated, right? Got um, it. So that's kind of that. Now, when I got to, um, to um, excuse me, to Union in 2003 in .LA, mm-hmm. Union had the SB account. OK right? And the story goes that basically no real skate shops at that time wanted Nike's skate account. Got and it. union was the only one I would like to say had the foresight to know what that was and to understand that. So much like when I first saw supreme and I because I wasn't indoctrinated into like what they were doing, mm-hmm. I just pivoted to like oh I don't understand that. I don't know it that's supposed to be. Not for me. I was not true yeah. that was not true. Same thing I think it's safe to say with these like kind of traditional um, skate shops. They saw Nike and what they were doing, and it was done in a different lens. They didn't understand it, so they didn't take the SB lens. So the the SB account, so Union LA was the first SB account.
3: Got it. So and you talk about you know unique doing something unique. Let's fast forward a couple years later to two thousand five. The Clerks one hundred and eighty something, a shoe that I actually went. So I interned that complex around two thousand five, two thousand six, okay. and I remember this shoe. It was one of those shoes I like saw everywhere not like everywhere in pop culture but like could never get and i recently this summer actually went back and bought it and and it was such like such an iconic collaboration talk about the clerks union 180 and and how that came about and like your vision for the design
2: um yeah so um you know the nike team approached us with this idea um at that time so it's so just a little context i think Mm -hmm. I always tell people like streetwear was born in New York as far as I'm concerned but it was raised in LA and I I kind of mm-hmm. think it still kind of lives there the, mm-hmm. the, the you know, um and Part of that is because early streetwear was a struggle. It wasn't like this thing now that's like bigger than you know, the biggest fashion kind of uh, revenue stream. It was a struggle and if you were a young up and coming designer or shop owner, you literally couldn't afford the real estate in New York to do your business. So it's not so much that LA was smarter or whatever. It's like, no, but you could start something humble in LA and grow it in a way that you couldn't do in New York. You know? Um, so, um, so the, the three stores that were approached were all three Eddie stores that he opened up in a very New York fashion to try and start like a neighborhood that kind of didn't really exist in LA at that time, like everything was spread out, mm-hmm. um, which was you know Stussy Union undefeated one two three mm-hmm. next to each other. So the managers of each of those stores, the clerks, yep. were able to kind of design from scratch their own shoe. Um, I I have a love hate relationship with the one eighty. Really? I mean that shoe and me picking that shoe was at a time when I would have worn like a really clunky kind of basketball shoe. That's not really my style anymore. So, I mean, look, I, I love like, so that's very, you know, telling of a period of time in my life. And I loved the shoe when it came out and it was, you know, so, um, you know, I kind of, uh, did the rinse, wash, repeat of like streetwear 101. Let's get some camo in there. (laughs) Let's make it some bright colors. Mm -hmm. colors, Um, you know, like, uh, so, we, I, we, I had a lot of fun making that shoe. Um, we actually, the launch of that shoe coincided with the closing for um, remodel of the original union. Okay. So we shut the store down. And as you may remember, there was like pink, splat, pink splatters mm-hmm. all over the shoe. So mm-hmm. like we closed the store down, took everything out of the store. And because we knew we were going to demolish it the next week, I just, me and my friends, like a whole bunch of my friends came out from New York and, um, and we to celebrate the moment and we literally just went and splattered paint all over the store just you know just to kind of do a a release so that was your first like super bootleg gorilla like activation you know (laughs) Uh, um but it was it was a ton of fun um adam who i still am very good friends with and work closely now i don't know if you guys know this because it hasn't been made public but Mm. adam my uh and myself um um we're part of a uh a kind of a a group called champ like kind of an agency and we're doing uh we took on about a year ago we started doing all the design for undefeated as well wow so um oh wow so this week is a big week for for us and me. Not mm-hmm. only do we launch the AJ Union AJ 4s but the undefeated Kobe's launch as well. Okay, so it's a Keep crazy, it's a crazy week. Crazy for me. week. So, yeah, it is pretty not bomb, you know. Crazy. Wow. So, um, but Adam was part of that, and then Fred, who I still work with um, at Undefeated, um, who was the manager of the uh, Undefeated store, also did the the online dunk. And Adam did his favorite, the Blazer. So we all got to, it's funny, we all got to do, pick, pretty much pick our mm-hmm. favorite shoe and do it. And you saw our personalities come through there. Um, and, and it's funny, come full circle, we all still work together. And uh, I hope, I mean, I'll say it from my, my end, I have a lot of, um, half the shit I know about sneaker world and sneaker culture I've learned from Fred. Um, and I still learn to this day.
4: One of the next collaborations Union goes on to do is the the Agassi Dunk Highs. There's only a yes. hundred 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 pairs. I mean, that if you want to talk about like limited limited, like were you? What was the reaction? Only dropping a hundred pairs of a Nike sneaker at at that time.
2: So you've got to remember, at that time, that would have been normal. Really, that would have been like. Yeah.
1: This is back in 2009, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And that shoe, so that shoe, I can't take credit for the design um, because that shoe was actually designed by the New York side of things. And there was a New York and LA color, but that shoe was kind of taken over by by Marianne and and that team. But um, that, uh, you know, nowadays the numbers are way up, but, you know, the early collaborations, they just weren't like, there didn't seem to be a consumer for these special things that, in that way. So, excuse me, doing 100 of those shoes was a lot. It seemed like a lot. Nowadays, that would be very little, but um, it was a lot at that time. And there weren't, you know, I think there was a niche market of people who understood that and were willing to pay and appreciate that. But it wasn't, the market wasn't what it was now, you know, it just wasn't. Cause you know,
4: cause then later on, like in 2017, you like total opposite spectrum is you do the top three Jordan ones at complex con yeah. and I know, you know, that complex con, I feel like just to be honest about it, it kind of shifted the way that we looked at limited sneakers because it was just too crazy. You know, like your, your, uh, tent or the union space almost gets like knocked down you were on record saying like, I'm um, uh, like the hooligans trying to get the Jordans like smashing <laughs> yeah. the walls. Like they almost broke my, yeah. my display. Like what the hell's going on? Like, how do you think sneakers or your reaction to sneakers going from having a hundred pairs and no one caring about a limited shoe to having a couple hundred pairs and like kids riding outside of your.
2: Yeah. The- I mean, I can give you somewhat of an answer there. I don't know if I have, I wish mm-hmm. I knew the math, but I think. So, streetwear, as you have it, to me, is this thing where, and I think this was, quite frankly, adopted from the Japanese, right? If you think about America and how we kind of just operate just generally, it's capitalism. Hey, I made 100 of these. Next year, I got to make 200, and I got to keep going, and I got to make 1,000, right? right? And inevitably, you get to a place where you flooded the market with a product that it could be incredible, but there's too much of it out there and it therefore gets devalued. Japan is a culture, just in general, places high value on things and makes just the right amount for the people. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a Goldilocks thing. It's just right. So I think one of the things that American streetwear learned from Japanese culture and how Japan was digesting streetwear and Japan is a very important part to streetwear and, and its growth and evolution was, well, in Japan, you would make just the right amount and and maybe a little less. So the supply-demand curve was always maybe just a little less um, because if you think about Japanese streetwear brands, they all have their own shops. They all need to keep people coming back every week. So they all need to make enough to satisfy the market, but not enough. Because you want people to keep coming back, mm-hmm. right? Um, that um, that kind of uh, business model was adopted here in America for streetwear um, through the lens of, you know, Stussy and Supreme and, and and Union of, like, not oversaturating and not over flooding the market. Um, and I think that has been kind of used... Played with, I'm not really sure what the right verb or noun there is, mm-hmm. but like for through sneakers now, right? And then fast forward to today, um, we're actually purposefully not making the amount that the market wants in order to keep the value of that high, in order to keep people coming back. And also like in a weird way, in order to keep like, you know, one of these, one of the things that's happened is like the value goes up. It doesn't go down. It appreciates right. Mm-hmm. it's like a house you know what I mean yep. um which is pretty special and unique um you know there's not many like commodities that that happens with I can think of maybe like really high-end purses and watches and maybe wine or something um I don't but uh, to answer why it got crazy outside of saying like look there's always less than de- supply than the demand and that that creates this kind of you know um you know Marketplace that is always in need of something that there's not enough of um outside of that, and then look, I think whether you've tweaked the supply demand curve or not like our generation Gen X grew up on sneakers that's just got this special place to us, and we've kind of lent that or or you know to the next couple generations and, mm-hmm. and it's this weird thing I can't really speak to i mean I, I recently. Joined that um that like clubhouse um, app, yeah. and I overheard a conversation uh, I think Espo was having where he was talking about kind of like art and commercial art versus fine art and you know w- design and where all those places meet and inevitably like he was and I don't want to speak for him but he was talking about how like um you know there's something beautiful in some of these sneaker designs that mm-hmm. who cares that it's not like a fine work of art like there's a beautiful design happening there that you know like let's not judge it just because it's this you know kind of commercial commodity um that i, that I thought there was some truth to that and then a, a year later i know i didn't answer your question because no, no, i we, don't we have it's the a it's a tough qu- it's a tu-
3: <laughs> there's a it's a answer that doesn't really exist a year later Jordan 1 2018, the Union Jordan 1s. We do Complex Con, and we have the best of the year, and we did it on our site, but totally knock that out of the park. A Jordan 1, you always feel like there's pressure to do it justice and things like that. When And I I know that you said basically even the 4, it's a two-year design process. How long was that Mm -hmm. design process, and did you know that it was going... Do you ever know that it's going to be that big of a shoe when you're in Portland designing it?
2: Yeah, so just to give you some context that the first complex con release of the gold ones, we were already working on the Jordan one. And that was kind of like, Mm -hmm. uh, let's warm warm them up a little bit for like, let's let them get ready for it. Maybe it was for all I know, maybe it's the people at brand Jordan being like, should we really go move forward with this guy and the shoe? You know? So, um, and uh, you know, so we were already working on the one um, on the union one. Uh, I'll admit, I, don't, I know Jordan didn't expect what happened. I can okay. say that for them, even though they've never said that. I just know mm. by the way we're going through the process. And I'll say, for me, I didn't expect like even one-tenth of the reaction that we got. Really? Now, does that mean I wasn't confident in the shoe design? No, I was very confident in the shoe. And I was confident in us being able to sell those units because I knew through working with Undefeated and I knew through Union like kind of what the market could bear from a unit's point of view. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that the marketing and the kind of story was going to blow up and become this global phenomenon. There was no way I could have known that. I just, you know, I, 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 didn't now a part of me could say right place, right time, just, the stars aligned and, you know, the light shine just at the right angle to hit, to hit, to where everything to hit that, that, that might be true. And that might be part of it. Another part of me could be like, Hey, it's not like I haven't been working in this industry since 96. Maybe just my time has come, you know, I've been humbly waiting like those stories I'm sharing with you are Mm -hmm. prehistoric stories of, of, of a, of an industry that, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, um, What's the word I'm looking for? I'm not like mad about it. I'm not mm-hmm. like you know, but like I've been a, a a part of this story, that that I've not been able to tell my part of the story. Got it. So you know, I have a good friend of mine, this artist by the name of Arthur Jafa, who's kind of blew up. He won the he he got the Golden Lion at the at the Biennale, at the Venice Biennale last year, and like he's I don't know he's in his late fifties or late fifties I believe, and like all of a sudden overnight he's like this rock star in art
1: yeah just did the new kanye video
2: exactly for those that don't know but his actual provenance and resume is incredible it's just he didn't get his time it's just the the things didn't fall in line and we're so used to this like really quick um market where like some kid comes up with a a cool youtube channel and he's a famous overnight Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. like my way of doing it which is just i've you know, taking one step at a time and it's been very slow seems rare. You know what I mean? So I think, I I guess my answer to you is somewhere where those two things fall, just the right time, right place, right. And then my wisdom and experience of knowing how to meet that moment has enabled this opportunity. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm super honored and humbled to be a part of this and I'm glad people appreciate it. And, and I would hope that again, my damn near 30 years of experience has, has informed my design, my marketing, you know, my storytelling, my narrative on these shoes and enabled it to be uh, the success that it's been.
1: I do see what you mean though, in terms of how it could be difficult to judge from some, some standpoint, because you bought Union in 2008 and then from 2008 till 2018, the only real Nike or Jordan collaboration is that one lava dunk that we mentioned in 2009 there was such a long period there if, if i'm not mistaken where there was no shoes releasing i mean, I mean you had adidas but not yeah not in, in the nike umbrella
2: and we and because of and this is like it's very important to understand this like union as owned by eddie
1: Eddie gave, undefeated, right?
2: yeah gave its its um footwear program to undefeated it you know it right? So, okay. years later, and I and I worked there before and after and during. So, it's not like I, you know, so for example, uh, I'll give you a quick little anecdote, like when I first moved to LA, um, for a number of reasons, I couldn't actually even start working at Union right away. Okay. okay. The, again, another story for another time, and eventually uh, a job opening came up under Eddie's umbrella, which is when they were going to open up the second ever Undefeated, which was in Santa Monica. So I was like, dude, you got to let me get that job. Like, I moved out here for you. You know what I mean? I got a kid <laughs> on the way. I'm, you know, I'm newly married. Like, I need, like, a, you know, I need a job. And I wasn't really in line for that job. The assistant manager of the La Brea store, this guy by the name of Ali, Alex Bruzy, who's still at Undefeated and we're now great friends, like, I, I basically stole his job. And we actually, <laughs> okay. so he became my assistant manager, which was not, The plan for him. Um, Thankfully, I can say we work together. We're the best of friends. We now still work together at Undefeated. Another person I've learned just so much, like Fred and Alex are like the sneaker whispers of, you know, for Undefeated in ways that, you know, I'm still learning by. But like, although I'm a big apparel guy and that's been the provenance of my experience, I've always had and been a part of sneakers. So it's not like I came out of nowhere it's not like i was the the ceo of johnson and johnson and now i'm the ceo of nike like hey and it's widgets like i've always been a part of it you know um but maybe in the shadows or you know whatever so it although it was a surprise because i have been in the shadows like the experience i've had and my resume was built for kind of what's happened i i I'd I'd like to say, you know, that might be a little conceited, but no, fuck
3: it. (laughs) So this week, big (laughs) week, big week. And, you know, a lot of times shoes come out and it's either it's like, you know, people warm up to them. You've done interviews about this recently, about how you saw like tongue gate, you called it. You saw that. (laughs) To to be fair, on this podcast, I've been on record that I'm into deconstructed sneakers right now like that's i love things that look a little off so i loved it from the beginning i'm not just saying that because you are here (laughs) i'm saying it because in the slack in our in our work slack people are like i don't know about the tongue i was like i love it anyway (laughs) two years of process and you said that you knew that the tongue thing was going to be a point of contention but Again, not to judge leaked photos, now we see everyone warming up. Everyone wants a new Jordan 4 now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Vouch for me. Sneaker of the year. Vouch for me that, like, I just, so when new images came out, I would just put in the slack, the side angle. No no context, anything. Just send it to a 15-person slack. But talk about that and talk about, you know, you talk about a Jordan 4 such like an iconic design that you said earlier on, flipping the tongue and kind of pushing it a little bit.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, both these shoe designs that I've done with Jordan, and this goes back to the question you asked me earlier about, like, what is, you know, one of my mentors, you and mm-hmm. taught me, like, try and do something unique, try and do something different. Um, obviously, it can't be crazy, mm-hmm. or at least not for me. There are designers that you can get crazy from if you want it. I don't think I'm one of those people, but, like, you know, my thing is, like, you know, and this is something, again, I kind of sniffed out from my trips overseas into Japan in particular, like, I really, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like witty twists on the classics. Mm-hmm. Taking something mm-hmm. and doing something new to it that's not taking it out of its element but just evolving it into something slightly different. So, try to do that with the one, um, and now, you know, when the four was presented, we wanted to do the same thing. Um, the tongue was one of the things I'd always like. Yo, I you know, like I'm always kind of scared to say this because, you know, but like I went in there like I'm gonna change that fucking tongue, man. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, because I love the fours. This is a personal thing. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to like I, I I'm I'm afraid of saying this and like Michael Jordan hearing it or Tinker Hat, you know, <laughs> you know being like what? Yeah, like fuck this guy, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yo. But I just always for me personally, the tongue was too high. I don't again. Mm-hmm. So my thing, I would always like find a way to fold it over, you know? And in my mind, I thought, well, maybe that was an intention of theirs because when you fold that label over, there's an interior label that now becomes right side up. Mm-hmm. So I always thought maybe that was an early you were intention. Doing it to I your don't own know. Jordan Force, Right. So I went in there like, yo man, like let's let you know, yeah, I want to do this. I want to make the tongue shorter. And uh, I've said this before, like, you know, thankfully this is a collaboration and there's a Jordan team in there who's like kind of guiding me and helping me navigate the world. And they were like, hey, I'm not sure that's a great idea, but they were actually the ones that came up with the fold over stitch down where you can kind of get the best of both worlds. So, um, and, and, and admittedly, I was like, my reaction was like, yeah, if that's what you guys want, yeah, whatever. As long as there's a version of this mm-hmm. where the tongue is lower, mm-hmm. fine. We, you know, sure, let's compromise. It wasn't like, "Wow, great idea." Or it was like, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you guys get what you want, I get what I want." Fine, you know. Um, so, you know, when the shoe first, you know, it's one of these things where this this adversity brought opportunity when the shoe first leaked and we were getting dragged, let's just be honest. Um, True, the, what I'm about to tell you is very true. A, I had never actually personally seen the shoe with the tongue unstitched. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Because why, in my mind, why would I?
1: Mm-hmm. You had no the interest. tongue
2: stitched down is mm-hmm. the thing. That's the way you That's, wanted. You know, that was just a compromise for the Jordan guys. Like, mm-hmm. you know, sure, they can get that. That's what they want. Get it. So I had actually never seen it. And obviously we had to react and figure out how we're going to show that, hey, like, you can get your tongue back. Yeah. Thankfully, thanks to the Jordan team. Thank you, yeah. Izzy. You know, like who said, no, you can't do that. Um, we, we, you know, so, uh, so for the first time I unstitched the tongue, I had never looked at it, you know? Mm. Um, and we took pictures and we had actually already had our images are like, um, marketing images taken weeks before that leak, but we hadn't taken them with the, with the tongue out. So, I mean, I you know I'm I'm all about honesty and transparency mm-hmm. cuz fuck it why not. Like if you go look at our photos you can see there's like some color correction that's not quite 100% because we didn't have enough time to shoot both the shoes all over again. So we had to shoot these couple angles and add them to the rest of the shoes and you can see they're not one for one matches because we went in after getting dragged to yeah, answer the tongue. The, the yeah. tongue, which, you know, so, um, and look, it's, it's not like some, I, I don't have like this thing, like, so a lot of, you know, some of my best friends, some people I really respect, they prefer the tongue out, you know, like, I. it's funny, we, I went into the office the other day. And, you know, once the staff had been given their shoes and a couple of the guys were wearing the shoes and one guy was wearing them and wearing them with jeans over top so you couldn't see the tongue. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they look good on you. Those look, those look good with jeans. I hadn't seen them with jeans mm-hmm. either. I've only seen them the way we've been styling them. And I was like, all right, lift that pan up. I want to see if what you do with the tongue. And he's like, don't worry, don't worry. Like, you know, my job's at stake. You know, I'm not cutting the tongue. But he started snitching on half the staff that did cut the tongue. or They went against your wishes. Yeah, and I was like, no, it's not that. You know what I mean? Like, it's really the same way, like, I'm not trying to disrespect, Mm -hmm. you know, Tinker Hatfield or the Jordan team with my touches on the Jays. I, I same way I can't be offended if someone wants it a certain way. In fact, I love that. I love that people can take and customize their gear. That's what it's all about. Like inevitably, you're wearing this apparel as a form of creative expression mm-hmm. of who you are and what you are. And yes, go ahead. You know, I I can remember back when I had like when I had snot running down my nose and my first sneakers were Chuck Taylors, and everyone used to like draw on the toe and customize them. Like, of course, you know. So. I'm not mad at anybody for unstitching the tongue the same way I don't want me them to be mad for mm-hmm. stitching the damn tongue. So
1: now Chris Chris, you mentioned the equation and trying to balance the supply and the band. Are, are you making more of these Jordan fours than the Jordan ones?
2: Yes, we did. We
1: did. Yeah, it's significantly more available?
2: Yes. Like maybe double. Really? Yep.
1: Was that a personal request?
2: Yes, but I they were on like the day, Jordan. We were both lock in step with that, so gotcha. it wasn't. It wasn't a fight. It's still nothing in compared to like a usual release. Not not that it matters. I don't mm-hmm. need, but but we we doubled it. We made next to nothing on the first one.
4: It's uh, it's been like an infamous, I guess, rumor in in the industry that Michael Jordan has to approve all of the Jordan products or he gets a look at them before they go out. Did you ever hear that he got feedback on the shoes that he was okay with your drastic designs on the sneakers I, or?
2: I honestly, honestly can't substantiate that rumor. I don't know that to be true. I do know that when we're doing stuff and kind of just spitballing ideas, every once in a while, I will maybe suggest something that they're like um, MJ wouldn't really like that. And I, <laughs> and to the degree that like you know um, to the degree that he's actually seeing it, or if he has like a team of confidants that make decisions for him, I don't know. I have never met Mr. Jordan. Um, so I'm not sure I've never heard any direct feedback the closest I've come and I I'll tell you when I did this I when this when I saw this I was really surprised and this is the this is sad but true But this is the closest I've come to mr. Jordan Um The guava pair the guava colorway is exclusive to union and I think because of covid there have been there have been like kind of hurdles to get this to happen on time and in a way we want and i think one of the things that kind of didn't get addressed is making sure that like jordan got guava color shoes i think for one reason or another i think directly related to covid the 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 team that would order internally mm-hmm. to make sure that their athletes and and their you know staff has colors they didn't order the guava color that's what i've heard interesting and um because they sent me i had to send out shoes to a couple of their athletes from our stock and i was like you know that's rare usually they send to their athletes and one of them was going to michael jordan wow i was like yeah and i was like Wait, does he have a son <laughs> named Michael? Jo- Is this like Michael Jordan <laughs> Jr.? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, you know. He so so was, was nothing
1: else. Yeah. I was like, I
2: was, I was honored to be sh- touching a box that will be shipped to Michael Jordan. That's awesome, <laughs> and that's the closest I've gotten to him. <laughs>
3: Well, Chris, also uh we have to mention the seating, how you seated with the five black businesses, such a great opportunity to kind of like flip the conventional seating on its head and that was that was such a such a great initiative. And listen, I know it's a busy week. We found out that you're not only involved in the union collab, but now the, the Kobe week. So we can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, told great stories, and you know, once again, everyone warmed up to these. Everyone came around on <laughs> yeah. these Jordan Force. <laughs> so uh can cannot thank you enough for taking the time. Congratulations on which is going to be another another big release, and it, uh, it's been great chopping it up with you.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys, and I had fun talking and letting me just kind of vomit at the mouth on all these silly stories, but I had fun. So I appreciate it.
3: Awesome. Thank thanks you, so
2: Chris. much, Chris. I right, appreciate it, man. Bye.
3: Our producer is Dave Matthews. Our associate producer is Jasmine Plata. Sound engineering done by Kyle Garvey. Special thanks to Jennifer Stewart and Shiva Bayet. The complex sneakers podcast is a production of the complex podcast network.